right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Remy Martin got himself an NIL deal. Maybe not exactly what you were expecting. If I said Remy Martin got an NIL deal for a new car, play a little imagery game in your head. What is the car that pops into your head? Is it, you know, a convertible? Is it a Mustang? Is it a Corvette? Is it like Ty Ty Washington at Kentucky got a Porsche? Was it Eric Dickerson at SMU who rolled in with, he might have had a Mustang or a Corvette or something. You think of like a, you know, a sports car. Well, the car that Remy Martin is receiving for his NIL deal is a Toyota Camry. And I I have nothing against a Toyota Camry, right? Good, solid car, right? Gets you from point A to point B. I think uh, responsible car. Good gas mileage. It's a solid-looking, just normal car. No issues with it. But it's just funny because when we think of players getting cars in college sports, you think of, like, the razzle-dazzle sports car, and you go with a Toyota Camry instead. But, you know, congrats to Remy Martin. I'd love to have a free car. I'd, I'd take a free golf cart for all I care. So forgetting a free Toyota Camry, heck, that's awesome. Uh, so Remy Martin get that NIL deal, but... The real big NIL deal today came from Mikey Williams. Now, Mikey Williams has been a name that has been brought up a lot over the recruiting process, especially for a kid who, over the last year, has been multiple years away from ever even getting to a point where he would attend college, I guess, unless he reclassifies into the class of 2022. He is a class of 2023 combo guard. He's a top 15 recruit in the country, currently a junior in high school. He uh, was in the news for a little bit because, you know, top end recruit, and he was talking about going to an HBCU, which he still hasn't picked a college. That's still on the ledger. I think if you go to his 24-7 sports page, the top predicted college for him to go to is North Carolina Central. So he's been in the news, but... He's got a big following on social media. And Williams, at least it was announced today, got a multi-year deal with Puma. Obviously a a big apparel company. And to my knowledge, I don't believe there are any colleges. I don't know. Maybe this differs at some of the smaller schools or at the D2 level or D3 level or something. But I don't believe there are any schools in D1 who are sponsored by Puma. So he gets an NIL deal with Puma, although 
I don't know. Like, is NIL, is that just in reference to if you're a college athlete, name, image, and likeness? Because if he goes to college, it would be considered an NIL deal. But also, if he doesn't end up going to college, then it's just like a deal, right? It's just a contract. It's not an actual NIL deal. And if you go to that 24-7 sports page, I, I mentioned the you know, North Carolina Central and entertaining the HBCUs as, as a possible route for him in college. The the highest prediction on his crystal ball page is that he's going to go the pro route, whether that means, you know, something like the overtime elite or going overseas or whatever it would be. That seems to be the favorite right now. And if he goes and does that, then this deal is kind of null and void to what I'm about to talk about here. And it's no longer an NIL deal. It's just a professional contract where you're getting paid somewhere. Uh, to be sponsored by them. Um, but if he does end up going the college route, this would be a pretty seismic move. And that honestly was probably bound to happen with an apparel company going straight to the player. Now, I don't know if certain contracts or if that would be almost a you know, conflict of interests if Adidas were to, for instance, go after a player on a school who wears Nike. Like, would you want to start that war, so to speak, where then Nike would be going after players on teams that, you know, schools you sponsor that are sponsored by Adidas, they would be going for those guys? Or is it just a matter of time and that's going to happen anyway and you strike first and it doesn't really matter? I, I don't know how that all would work, um, but I would think you wouldn't want to anger people. And also, if you already have the whole school on an Adidas contract, are you going to get an individual player on an Adidas contract because you're already getting the the bulk package as opposed to the individual. Maybe if it's a Zion Williams, right, you make an exception for that. Um but that's just Zion Williams, Zion Williamson. Uh maybe, I don't know, there's the occasional player that, that breaks through that, but I, I don't know how often that'll happen. The thing with Puma that makes this more possible maybe is that they don't have colleges that they're sponsoring. But Let's entertain the possibility that this is a ripple effect move. And I think it's good to point out here, Mikey Williams, while being a highly recruited guy, a guy that any college in the country would love to have and certainly will have aspirations to be an NBA player and get drafted in the first round, this isn't a number one recruit. This isn't a top five or top ten guy either. He's right on the border of top ten, so maybe that's just semantics. Uh, but you're talking about a very good player as a top 15 guy, but that's not a can't-miss prospect ranking, right? And he got a big Puma deal. So if he gets it, you would think anybody in the top 10 can get it. Anybody in the top 20 can get it. And I just wonder if this does open the floodgates for the likes of Nike and Adidas and so forth. Like, does this mean we are going to see more players getting individual contracts with the shoe apparel companies. And that's not like, you know, it's not totally different than what we've seen. Obviously Adidas got in heat and there was, you know, FBI investigations and so forth as dumb as that all was about this basically happening, but now it would be over the table and it would be basically allowed. And so it only seems like a matter of time, but where is the distinction there? Is it Adidas and Nike signing the guy because they want him for his pro potential? Are they signing a guy because they want to direct him to one of their schools or to a specific school where they know that school is, you know, an Adidas or Nike or Under Armour brand? 
and they want them to be at a specific school like that. Like that, that's very interesting. Do you get to a point where, you know, you just have like different high school circuits and high schoolers, it's AAU clubs are opting into what shoe apparel company they want to be a part of. And that shoe apparel company is paying them. And then they're going to go to one of those schools in college. And then they're also going to sign them to an individual deal. And then they have them if they make it to the pros and they make it as an ultra successful player. It's, it's super interesting what that could cause. And I think how that affects recruiting. Like I said, it's already been happening where they've been funneling that, but now it's more open door. Now it's, it's going to just be seen more often. And now you can be a little more brash about it because of the fact that it is legal into the college game. And I I know they've talked about like the NCAA having rules with, well, you can't have an NIL deal that has the stipulation based on them coming here. It can't be involved in recruiting. Like, okay, wink, wink, nod, nod. We all know what's going to happen there. But beyond that, like, I, I wonder what this means for schools who sign these larger contracts, which is every school, but obviously, you know, the bigger brand, the the higher contract you're going to get. Like KU signing the multi, multi-million dollar deal with Adidas, over $100 million with Adidas. Would that happen the same today with these apparel brands? Because part of the deal with them is, you know, we're getting a, a blanket coverage. We get it on all your teams, all your jerseys, all your athletes. Certainly, that's still going to be a, a market there because there's so many sports and you get every player on their jersey. Even if, you know, Mikey Williams is sponsored by Puma, if he comes to Kansas, for instance, the jersey he still wears is an Adidas jersey. So there's still going to be value in that. But does the value go down? Because now instead of, you know, if Mikey Williams came to Kansas, instead of him wearing an Adidas jersey, an Adidas undershirt, Adidas shorts, Adidas socks, Adidas shoes, Adidas headband. Instead of all that, does now if Mikey Williams comes to KU, he's still wearing, you know, the team issued jersey and shorts, but now it's Puma socks, Puma shoes, Puma headband, where that gets devalued a little bit on your contract and you're not giving as much. And maybe even beyond that, you get to a point where these apparel companies say, you know what, now that we can pay these players with these NIL deals, let's not even invest into the specific college. I'm not even going to give a 10-year contract to a college for them to have our jerseys. I'm just going to invest in the players we want. I'm just going to instead use all that money that we're paying all these different colleges. They can make their own jersey or they can find another apparel brand. I'm going to spend $2 million on Zion Williamson. I'm going to spend... $2 $2 million on Devontae Graham. I'm going to spend $2 million on Sabrina Ionescu. And, and you go down the line, and that's the alternative. I wonder if that's going to happen and how this is going to have an effect on the landscape of college basketball. So it's going to take a lot of time, and this is maybe the, the first one, and it's going to take a while for the ball to get rolling. This isn't going to be an overnight thing, but this is the first of what I think we're going to see many of, and I'm just interested how it affects recruiting. I'm interested to see how it affects certain players, how it affects certain schools, with apparel deals, with money coming in for players, for schools. I think it's going to be very interesting to monitor from here on out. Mikey Williams might have just sent a pretty big ripple into the college basketball waves. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com, depend on it. Coming up in about 25 minutes, we'll be joined by Rex Walters, former KU star. At the top of the 4 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by Jim Root of Three Man Weave. This is RCST. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? 
Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. Joined by a special guest, that would be one Rex Walters, former KU guard, helped lead him to a Final Four with Roy Williams in the early 90s. Uh, Rex, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, so you're getting ready for, you know, getting into the TV game as being an analyst. What's What's been the biggest difference so far in getting ready for being an analyst on TV versus getting ready to coach a game? Well, the one thing I know is at the end of the at the end of the game, I won't be beating myself up nearly <laughs> as much as I did as a coach. So, uh, and the sad thing is, is you won't have the highs, you know, when you coach. And I've done a few games before in the past when I was in between head coaching jobs, and that's the one thing is when you leave the game, you don't care quite as much, but you're not as happy quite as much. So, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a definitely a a different type of deal, but I'm excited because you still get to talk about the game you love. You get to watch good players play, and and then also see what coaches do. So that's a lot of fun for me. Is it weird at all for you right now at this point of the year, not coaching or playing? I mean, when's the last time that you've headed into a season where you don't have those responsibilities? Well, when we were when I was let go with the Pistons, I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing, and I was really working on some of the media stuff. And then I got lucky and, and ended up working for Eric Musselman down in Nevada for a year. So th- yeah, this is the first time that I haven't had a you know a, a real team to work with. I coached my son's fall league team, which was fun. It was a good group of guys. That's this weekend, the last weekend of that. So this so it'll be different. It'll be different. Going to practice isn't nearly as fun, but uh, so I'm looking forward to, to calling these games and getting some experience with that. And then we'll see what the spring. Spring We're talking with Rex Walters here. Um, I, I don't know how much you've been following this KU team, but they're up to 14 scholarship players with the you know add-ons of, of the COVID year. Um, they got a bunch of newcomers, and they've got a bunch of highly rated freshmen, transfers who have come in who have had success at other schools, and that's blending into a roster with already four starters back. I guess. How difficult do you think that is to have that many guys who are not just newcomers, but also who can come in and, and are realistically expecting to play but might not and trying to keep everyone happy on the roster? How difficult do you think that is? I, I think it will be a challenge. You've got basically eight guys that all averaged over double figures the last time that they played. Now, you know, four of them have not played at KU, so – that's a whole different animal. When you talk about Big 12 basketball, you talk about your first real game, you know, playing against Michigan State. All guys have very high. And that was always the thing. When I was, when I was a player, who's going to play? You know, my first year at KU, I was like, gosh, I'm fighting for my life right now to get on the court. We had Sean Tunstall. We had a really good team. And, you know, Sean ended up not playing that season. That opened up a lot of minutes for me. So you've got eight guys that all are used to having the ball in their hands, used to scoring the ball. Christian Braun probably the one guy you don't have to worry about because he's right at 10 points per game. But still, that's a lot of, of ego. That's a lot of guys that expect to play, expect to get opportunities to score. So that'll be a, a different challenge than maybe what you usually have with a team. 
you got your coaching career started at Blue Valley Northwest, right? Christian Brown, Blue Valley Northwest alumni. I think you guys have that in common. Yeah, uh, you know, he's a tough, you know, athletic, plays the right way kid. You know, Ed Fritz did a great job with him, and, and he's done a great job everywhere he's been. So, you know, Christian's kind of a more of a make-it-work guy than I was. I was a little bit more brass. I wanted to score the basketball. I wanted to make plays. He's a guy that I think really makes it work, and they're going to need a guy like that. You know, Bill's always had a guy like that, whether it's Brady Morningstar, you know, guys that just make it work for the team. I think that's what Christian has been able to do. You know, you like, you'd like to see his numbers in terms of field goal percentage go up. He's right at about 38%. You know, his threes to maybe go up and become a knockdown guy uh, on top of what he brings from a defensive mindset, a toughness, and an ability to make it work for the team and make the team a lot better because he's willing to give them maybe some parts of his game. KU is, is wanting to go more back to the two-guard lineups, which we didn't see a ton last year. What have you seen with, with Bill Self over his time at KU that has made that so successful with having a two-guard lineup, and uh, do you think that can be successful this year? Well, a two-guard lineup means you've got two really good guards. You know, all coaches are really good when they've got good players, and, and they've got that, so... Bill does a phenomenal job of getting guys on the same page. You know, you talk about Bill self teams, you talk about, okay, we're going we're gonna to defend the heck out of it. We're going to rebound the basketball, and then we're going to play the right way on the offensive end. He's always been able to get teams to do that. This will be a little bit more of a challenge, I think, this year, but they're really, really talented. And you'd rather have as many bullets in the gun that you can as opposed to, you know, walking to a – to a bar fight or whatever with, with only two, two bullets in the holster, you know. So um, he'll figure it out. There, there's no question. They've had time. I haven't had a chance to watch them play. I live in Michigan now, so I haven't had a chance. But I'm looking forward to that Michigan State game. I've watched Michigan State practice a few times. Tom Izzo always phenomenal to me, and I, I live about an hour and a half away. So to get a chance to watch, that's going to be a great uh, test for KU and Michigan State to start the season. We're talking with Rex Walters here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, how difficult was it for you, as we mentioned, with all these transfers coming in, to adjust after transferring? And, and how well adjusted do you think you would have been if you didn't have that year off of sitting out in between and, and the rules were like they are now where you'd get that one free transfer? Well, I wouldn't have liked it at all because Terry Brown was there. And so basically, you know, I love, I love TV. We would have been in a dogfight every single day. For and, you know, no one with Coach Williams was like, he was very partial to seniors. So I would have been upset. Terry would have been upset when I'm going in for him. And that's a very difficult challenge. And when you've got, you know, when guys are good players, they also have pretty healthy ego. So for me, it would have been very difficult, to be quite honest. But the year off for me was phenomenal because it made me learn how we guarded the KU. It made me learn the system. I had a great understanding of what we were doing because I had a whole year of reps to play. Now, now with the instant, you know, play right away stuff, those guys don't have the same time to learn a system, but they still have the same expectations of playing and playing a lot. So, you know, Bill, like I said, he does a great job and he always makes it work, but that's going to be adjustment for those guys knowing that they're not going to get the same reps. And, you know, some of these guys put up big numbers, you know, KU, you're trying to win a national championship, quite honestly. I mean, that's the deal. You know, um, 
These guys, some of these guys didn't win at a high level, so it's a great challenge for them. I didn't win at a high level when I came to KU. I was at Northwestern, so I took that as a great challenge, and that's the way these guys need to approach it. That's a great opportunity to, to show that, yes, I can play and play well, but I can impact the winning. And that's why you come to KU, because you know that's going to happen for a Bill Self-coach team. And I think that speaks pretty on the nose for a guy like Remy Martin, who didn't have a ton of win-loss success when he was at Arizona State, but put up some really good numbers, and now he comes to KU, and he doesn't get that year to sit out after transferring on. Does that challenge of everything you said where, you know, you didn't have to worry about or, or you did get the, the ability to sit out where he doesn't, does that become more difficult in having to take over a team when you're not just anybody but you're the point guard as well? Yeah, because the point guard, you know, I'll play the shooting guard spot, so I have to learn really one or two spots. And when you're a point guard, you have to know where everyone is. And you have to be an extension of your coach. Uh, when you don't have those reps, yeah, you have summer workouts, yeah, you have, you know, the fall workouts and boot camps, you go through all those things, but that's not a game. Like, that, you know, all that stuff sounds really good. It's not a game. So, uh, and it's not a full season of practice and, and really understanding the vision of your coach. So that's a tremendous challenge for Remy. Like, Remy played in three NCAA tournament games. Like, you know how it is at KU. If you play three NCAA tournament games, it's a bad season. Like, you're expected every year to play three or four NCAA tournament games. And if not, you're, you're really uh, disappointed. So that, that's a great thing. He's a heck of a talent. He is competitive. He plays with a high, high motor. He is a scoring guard. Uh, and almost a little bit of a volume scoring guard, 43% from the field, 34%. You'd like to see those numbers go up. Uh, but uh, I know that he's going to compete. He's going he's gonna to really do everything he can from, a, from just leaving it on the floor type of attitude that he has in, in game. So it'll be really fun to watch that growth in him in his last year to really lead a team, be an extension of the coach, and impact winning. We hear all the time in college basketball, especially with the NCAA tournament, like guards win games in the NCAA tournament. Uh, why do you think that is? Is that just kind of, a, I don't know, uh, maybe overblown a little bit? Or what's the truth in that? And what would cause it to be the case? Well, you're always going to, your team is always going to play well when the guy that handles the ball the most plays well. Right, so I played with Adonis Jordan. The ball was also in my hands a lot. We were pretty good. Therefore, hey, you know, all of a sudden we're pretty good. You talk about the Jacques Bond. You talk about, you know, some of the great Frank Mason, some of the great guards. When they played well, the team usually played well because they facilitate everything, and they're also the number one threat. You don't have to have him pass the ball, right, to get the ball back. Like he starts offense. He he sets the table. He can score the basketball. He can get the assist. He can get the hockey assist. And he's the, he's the start of our defense. Like, that was a big thing at KU uh, when, I, when I played for Royal Williams. Is our point guard has to be able to guard the basketball. We don't want to have to worry about guarding the ball. Well, that's what your point guards and your guards really do. So you have to have great guard play. And I think it also extends to the NBA. When you have great guard play in the NBA, you're going to be pretty freaking good. So it, it is. It's so important for so many reasons, but it's because the ball's in his hands more, and he starts the defense. And, and those are two big reasons why you've got to have really good guard play if you're going to be successful. 
I don't know if you saw this today, but Mikey Williams, who's like a uh, class of 2023 recruit, top 15 recruit in the country, just signed an NIL deal with Puma. Um, and I believe that is the first NIL deal with a player uh, from an apparel company specifically. I don't know if this will end up having kind of seismic waves into the impact of things, but do you think this could kind of change the landscape of college basketball once the apparel companies start getting involved like that to where, you know, if if you were transferring from Northwestern and uh, maybe Adidas or Nike comes along and says, hey, we'll pay you this much, but you got to go to one of our schools. Do you think that becomes part of the decision-making process now in college basketball? So first of all, it's all that's, all, that's always been the case. So like, you know, there's a reason why we have shoe deals with AAU programs. They're doing that for a reason. Like the shoes have always had a tremendous impact on recruits and players. And, and we can obviously there's there's been NCAA stuff going on for a long you know for a while now that nothing's really come out of it. But they have an impact on where a kid's going to go. I think the biggest thing is when you talk about the great programs, and it's impacted a little bit. You know, Coach Wayne's retired. Coach K, this is his last year. Like, you got to really now do your research about finding out what these players are really about. Like, Mikey Williams is a tremendous talent. I know nothing about the kid, but I've seen highlights. But I think as a coach now, you have to really find out, hey, is this kid playing for the University of Kansas or is this kid playing for himself? And you got to figure out, what, you know, is he worth the problems that he's bringing? And I'm not saying Mikey Williams would bring any problems. I'm just saying you got to find out, hey, does this kid love winning? Does he hate losing? Is it really about more than just him? Does he want to be a part of something bigger than himself? And so with now NIL, with the shoe, the shoe deals and what's going on with, with Mikey Williams and Puma, and I love Puma's shoes. I, I, I love their shoes. I wear them, and I'm a Nike guy. But there's no question it has a tremendous impact, but it always has. Now it's just all on the, on the forefront. Every know, everybody knows what's going on, and there's no really as much side and back backroom deals going on right now. Well, I'm interested, too, how this affects um, the schools specifically with, you know, every school has their own apparel deal with a different brand, whether it's Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, whatever, to where, you know, all their uniforms are this and the shoes and stuff. Like, what does this mean for a couple ways? One, are they just going to stop making deals with schools and just go straight for the certain players? Uh, what's the situation where, you know, if Mikey Williams is signed by Puma and he goes to an Adidas school, is he allowed to wear, like, Puma shoes and Puma undershirts underneath an Adidas jersey or something like that? I'm just I'm very interested with how that kind of affects the college landscape from here. Well, I, I think with NIL, I think you, you may at, at some point see a kid, you know, like Kansas is an Adidas school, but you may see a kid wearing Pumas. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the deal is with the school. It's not with the individual players. So it may get to the point, like if Mikey Williams wanted to go to North Carolina or Duke or Kansas or whatever, he's going to say, hey, I, I want to come, but I'm wearing Pumas. Well, I just don't know if the coach is going to say no to that. Quite honestly, the, the, the talent that he – could bring to the equation. I don't know how good he is, to be honest with you, but he's got he's got three million followers or whatever. So if he is that good, which he very very uh, very well be, like the coach is going to say, quite honestly, hey, we're, we're going to go ahead and let you wear Puma's word and beat his team. I hope you're okay with that, and, and, and the AD has to sign off as well. 
Yeah, I, th- I just think it's a very fascinating conversation, to say the least. This is Rex Walters for a few more minutes with us on RCST. All right, uh, before I let you go, I'm curious. If if you could have played with one KU player that you didn't have a chance to actually play with, so hypothetically, you know, you can launch Frank Mason back in time or Wilt Chamberlain up ahead, uh, who, who would be that guy that, that you would pick? So there's two, there's two guys, if I'm cheating the question. Wolf Chamberlain be one of them. No question. He was the most dominant player of his era. And that would have been a lot of fun. If it was. And then Danny Manning, because you know, I'm I'm, I work for Danny. I know what kind of person he is. I know what kind of player he was. I got to play with him in the summer. And he was so smart, so skilled, uh, and, and just about, like, not just winning, but making people feel good about themselves. Right, but also challenging you to be more like those those two, you know, and obviously they're the two greatest players of all time. Uh, when it comes to, I think Kansas basketball, we've had some great ones. When you talk about Paul Pierce, I wouldn't want to play with Paul. Just to be honest, Paul and I used to get in arguments every single summer <laughs> that he came back. You know, Ray LaFrance was a phenomenal player. Uh, there's been some great ones. Jacques Vaughn is a guy that was a lot of fun to play with in the summertime. So, uh, but those two. Uh, because you know we're lucky, you know Carolina has Jordan, we have Wilf, we have a guy named Danny Manning. Uh, you know UCLA has Kareem. You know that's why we're a blue blood program because we've had phenomenal, phenomenal players at our school. You, <laughs> met, you mentioned uh, coaching with with Danny, and you guys would play. Uh, is Danny still you think is is a really good basketball player? And the I mean obviously not prime Danny anymore, but you think he could still uh, get buckets? <laughs> No, no, he can't, and, and I can't, quite honestly. I'm 51 years old. Uh, I can't even jog. Everything's a jog walk now to try to keep the weight off. I know Danny's gone through some knee replacement stuff. Uh, you know, he is, he's no longer the same athlete. He was still really, really smart, really understands him. I know he's working for Mark Turgeon down in Maryland right now, but um, I can still shoot it. I can still move a little bit, but those days are long gone. Unfortunately, anyways, he would have been a lot of fun. When I was 20, 21, 22 years old, that would have been a lot of fun to play with Will to play with Danny Manning. He's Rex Walters, former KU guard. I believe the team to the Final Four in the early 90s. Rex, uh, good luck on your uh, TV analyst gig. Thanks for hopping on the show with me and uh, hopefully have you on again sometime down the road. That'd be great. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. Rock Talk Jayhawks. All right, that was Rex Walters. Joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, depend on it. One hour down, two to go. Jim Root of Three Man Weave joins us next. He's going to help us preview the college basketball season. That on the other side. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 1320 KLWN and klwn.com. Derek Johnson, we were joined last year by Jim Root of Three Man Weave, and he helped us preview the college basketball season. Went so well, we decided, hey, let's just see if we can get Jim on again. And sure enough, here he is, which I'm sure is always awkward for Jim coming on, a Mizzou grad, but thank you anyway for taking the time and uh, helping us preview the college basketball season, Jim. No, it's the opposite of awkward. It's great. I get to talk <laughs> about an actual good basketball team compared to my own. This is it's wonderful. <laughs> well, I... I don't know what's what's going on with Missouri. You you probably know more than I do, but certainly Xavier Pinson leaving. I I don't know how you feel about that. Um, last year seemed to be an okay year, and then things just kind of fell apart. But uh, we'll start right here in in Lawrence. Um, 
for this Kansas team specifically, uh, what concerns would you have for them, and, and what do you think the ceiling is versus what do you think the floor is? Concerns, I guess, it would, it would probably come more from like pecking order and just trying to figure out how all the really talented pieces fit together because I'm very impressed with the roster Bill Self has assembled. I think they've got weapons inside, weapons on the perimeter. Uh, they got a couple guys maybe that started last year that'll have to take smaller roles or move to the bench. So chemistry concerns a little bit, but I mean, ultimately that's the problem you want to have. You, you want to have so much talent that you're figuring everything else out. And I think that's, that's a big thing for the Jayhawks. Too. They've got, they're pretty loaded. I'm number two in the country. I, I think national title is certainly the ceiling for them. Uh, if they get Remy Martin and, and Joe Yesifu to come in and be those creators on the ball that they seemingly lacked last year, didn't quite have the, the dynamism of a Frank Mason or a Devontae Graham. So with those guys coming in and all the complimentary wings and bigs around them, I, I think the ceiling is as high as you can go. Floor probably still uh, a big 12 contender and top 10 or 15 team. Like they're not going to be worse than last year. So put them in the, the top 15 around a three seed. And that, that would be the floor for me. It's, it's a big year for Jayhawk hoops. Yeah. It's interesting uh, with how I view this team because defensively over the last like two months of the season before the USC blowout, they had become one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, but now you lose Marcus Garrett. And like, if you just look at the personnel, like, you'd go through and you wouldn't consider Remy Martin a plus defender. You wouldn't consider David McCormick, like, a plus rim protector. You wouldn't consider, you know, on and on down the list, Christian Brown. Like, maybe Ochai would be the one guy you'd consider a plus defender, but even he has some breaks off the ball. But at the same point in time, they were still with most of those guys, minus Marcus Garrett, a top defense last year. And we could do the same thing and go through and say, well, I think David McCormick's a really good offensive player, though. Same for Remy Martin and down the list. So I kind of feel like this is going to be a better offensive team than defensive team, but also the proof is there with Bill Self that, you know, I think every year except for one, he's been like a top 24, top 25 defense on Ken Palm. So do you view one side of, of the ball as, as maybe better than the other for this KU team? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, it's probably, it's definitely more balanced than last year, as you mentioned. Like, I, I think the offense will be a lot better than it was. Um, and, and defensively, the individual parts, sure, like it, it's maybe not the, the greatest looking on paper, but yeah, we, we do so much trusting of institutional success with defense. Like somebody like Virginia can lose everybody, but Tony Bennett, we mostly trust that it's going to stay up in that elite ranking. And, and Bill Self has proven to be that good as well. Like, like you mentioned, yeah, I think I'm looking at it now and I mean, they're top 10 for over half the years. And maybe this isn't a top 10 defense, but it's going to be really good. I think that their size, there's versatility, with some of the bigger wings, you can play small or you can go really big. Having that lineup optionality helps on defense. So I think they'll be just, just fine there. But, yeah, I, I, the offense probably creeps back up into the top 15, top 20 range with having two, two ball handlers. And, and he can play them together with, with Yesifu and, and Martin. I know he's done that in the past with the dual point guard looks. And it's just so much harder to guard that way. So I, I maybe I overall answer the question still slightly a little better defensively, but the, the the balance has tilted a lot back back towards even here. As far as like trying to decipher when you're putting together your you know preseason All American teams and preseason Big Twelve awards stuff like that, how did you go about it with this Kansas team? Because it's it's got to be really tough with trying to even just decipher like who the best candidate on the team would be. Yeah, do you, do you have any answers for me? Do you know well, what, what should I be doing? <laughs> you know what's weird because Remy Martin obviously got 
Big 12 Player of the Year, despite Marcus Carr getting Newcomer of the Year, which is weird. But um, it seems almost like the conversation here, it, it hasn't soured on Remy Martin. It's just the expectations have felt like they're being dropped. And it almost feels like, to me, I don't know, maybe it's it's Ochai Baji who would, I think, very much benefit from having a better ball creator because him and Christian Brown are both more set shooters. So to have a better ball creator, I, I would think Ochai would benefit. But you think Dave is going to be you know, the, the focal point of the offense. Then again, how much is David McCormick going to play when you bring in Cam Martin, your top recruits, a freshman, you're only going to play one big. Is David McCormick playing past 25 minutes per game? So are you going to put up the counting stats to be able to go on there? So I don't really have an answer for you um, other than to say I almost feel like, and I don't mean team-wise they'd be this good, but like the 07-08 team where you didn't have any All-American players just because it's too balanced, I almost feel like that might be the case. Yeah, that's kind of where we landed. We, we did a top 100 player list, and we were just like so much arguing back and forth within our little three-man weave of who we thought the best player was, who would be the most important. And you ultimately landed with like four guys that we felt really good about, with McCormick, Wilson, Agbaji, and Martin, but none of them in that top 15 or 20 range. So it's hard to convince people of how is this team number two without an All-American. But as you mentioned, it's, it's entirely possible. If the balance is there, if defense is really the, uh, one of the calling cards, then no guy, no individual player is going to have the counting stats to, to blow, blow you away. But they're going to be good enough, and, and they've got enough weapons that, yeah, I think balance might be the, the ultimate ace in the hole for Bill Self. Yep, and uh, who knows? Uh, like I said, with Remy Martin, I don't know how much Joe Yesvu is going to play. Dewan Harris has just been getting rave reviews, so I don't know how much that's going to eat into his time, but we've seen so many years where Bill Self has played a, a point guard 35, 36 minutes, and if that happens for Remy Martin, I'm sure he'll uh, have the numbers. So KU's first game is Michigan State, who starts the year unranked. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like with the Tom Izzo team, I'm not going to bank on them to finish unranked again this season, so... What would be kind of the uh, early scouting report on KU's first game with Michigan State? Yeah, Michigan State's in, in a weird spot coming off that year where they barely snuck into the NCAA tournament, and the, the returning pieces don't blow you away, that's for sure. Um, but they seem to have, very similar to Kansas, settled their point guard spot quite a bit. They brought in a transfer themselves, Tyson Walker from Northeastern. Uh, and then the, the freshman to sophomore league for A.J. Hogarth. So settling the point guard spot, just like the Jayhawks, very big for them. Uh, and then they have a five-star freshman on the wing, Max Christie, that has apparently looked really, really good in some of the preseason stuff. He's long. He can shoot from just about anywhere. Don't quite have the, the front court standout that a Tom Izzo team usually does, but they have a lot of bodies. So they, they'll have 15 to 20 fouls they can throw at Big Dave inside. Uh, I'm just not sure any of those guys are mega impactful for the Spartans. It seems like they're going to be feeling themselves out a little bit early on, where Tom Izzo doesn't quite know his rotation exactly, doesn't have a set-in-stone starting lineup, but the talent is there for them to be a lot better late. So I definitely give a heavy edge to Kansas early, just because I think Michigan State's going to have that that uh, early period where they're trying to figure out who they are. Uh, and Kansas is a little closer to a secure identity with so many, uh, like basically four starters back. Okay, we're talking with Jim Root here of Three Man Weave. Um, Gonzaga, obviously, the top-ranked team, pretty consensusly everywhere you look. Uh, are there any questions about this at all? And not in terms of like, oh, could they not be good? But just in terms of questions like, what would cause things to be derailed where they wouldn't be like, I guess, a number one seed again in the NCAA tournament? 
Yeah, I think if you want to poke holes there, that maybe the, the defense could have a little bit of question marks. They're, they're going to be pretty young on the wing. And we saw in the, the title game and some of the games leading up to it, Drew Timmy's foot speed in space is a bit of a problem for them. So if you're able to take advantage of that and put him in a ton of ball screens, then Gonzaga has a little bit of weakness on D. And offensively, they, they kind of lack some shooting. Last year, not a high-volume shooting team, but Corey Kispert was maybe the best three-point shooter in the entire country on a high volume. And they don't really have that this year. They've got some guys with potential to fill that role, but it doesn't really stand out as a strength for them. In fact, you could say perimeter shooting might even be uh, the, the biggest question mark or weakness heading into the year. So if nobody emerges in that role to, to complement their inside scoring, then there's a little bit of potential for vulnerability. But, yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if they fell outside like the top ten or so. The team who's number two in the AP poll behind Gonzaga in front of Kansas is UCLA, and I think that's probably caused the most discussion, I guess, debate about where they should be ranked in the preseason. At least I've seen a lot of it from KU fans here, uh, which is interesting to me because I've seen a lot of people saying they, they don't deserve to be ranked number two because it's all based on the uh, run in March Madness. My counter to that has been that – if you just look at the overall body of work, which includes the tournament and the regular season, they still finished 13th in Ken Palm. For instance, Kansas was 27th at the end of last year. And if you said we have a team who finished 13th in Ken Palm that brings back all these starters and added transfer in Miles Johnson and added a, a five-star recruit, I, I don't see how that wouldn't end up being a highly ranked team. I don't think they're going to actually end up being the second-best team, but I don't really have a problem with them being ranked in the top five, top seven or so in the country. Where do you kind of come out on UCLA this year? Uh, yeah, I have personally, I have them, I think, eighth or ninth. Uh, it's right about, you know, where uh, I, probably a little lower than consensus, like you said. But I do think that that run matters. Like, it, it, it's important to take the, the lessons we learned from them going through that, you know, getting five wins in the NCAA tournament, albeit in a lot of close games. We did learn a lot more about them. They seem to figure things out a little bit more defensively. Uh, Hawk has really stepped up on the offensive end, along with Juzang going supernova. But there, you know, there, there's a little bit of good fortune to it. Uh, I talked about it on our most recent podcast, but in that six-game run, opponents shot 26% from three and 62% from the line, which would have been bottom three marks in the entire country over the full season for, for an opposing percentages standpoint. So it, it's beneficial, but I think you also have to kind of take it with a little bit of grain of salt where had they gone down to Michigan state right away and, and finished in the forties in Ken Palm, I think people would have had them like 22nd this year and it would have been no big deal. So I'm kind of splitting the difference between the launch them all the way up to top three versus keep them fringe top 25. I'll land them around 10. And, and I think that's probably where they'll finish to be honest. Is there a top 10 team that maybe you kind of view right now as, and I don't know if UCLA would be the answer here, that you think has the best chance of disappointing to where their preseason expectations are? Hmm. Yeah, it, I think UCLA might be one, but I do think the floor is pretty high because of everybody they bring back. If I had to say, maybe one of the, the Blue Bloods, uh, Duke or Kentucky, just because there's so much change, I think there's a lot of variance in their outcomes. Um, Duke is going to be a little more freshman reliant than Kentucky is. And, and I love Bancaro, the, the star freshman they brought in, but AJ Griffin, their second best recruits already dealing with some knee issues. Uh, Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach. We don't know exactly how much they've progressed on the perimeter. 
So I have a little more questions about them than Kentucky's trying the whole transfer-heavy model, which we haven't seen Calipari use before. So I like both of those teams. I have them top 10, but I could certainly understand taking a bearish approach with them just because of a lot of uncertainty. We haven't seen the particular group of players that they have be elite to the level that people are expecting. What about a non-top 10 team right now? Is there a non-top 10 team that you think has the best chance of the opposite of that kind of surprising and maybe working their way up into that list of contenders? Uh, I'll go two. I think last year I was mega high on Alabama, and that thankfully ended up right. But another SEC team I like a lot is Tennessee, which there's you know some appropriate skepticism around Rick Barnes in the tournament. I, I understand that. But I think they have a lot of intriguing pieces. They finally have a point guard. It's kind of the theme here is getting the point guard position settled. And Tennessee's got a five-star rookie in Kennedy Chandler that I think will stabilize that position. So I think the balls are maybe a little undervalued. And then Oregon, you know, they're sitting at 13. So maybe this isn't like a crazy, bold prediction. But I'm flirting with taking them as a a preseason Final Four team. I haven't nailed that collection down yet. But – I just like a lot of the pieces that Altman brought in. He's got a ton of experience in the backcourt uh, and, and some potential bodies up front to, to cycle through in his defenses. And he's blended transfers and, and freshmen before. So I think the Ducks are a team that could potentially end up stealing the Pac-12 from UCLA and finishing up in that top 10. We're talking with Jim Root here. Uh, what about the mid-major class? Obviously, St. Bonaventure has gotten uh, the biggest highlights so far, being the fact that they're ranked and they have all the starters back. Uh, are they, do you think, can end up being the best mid-major? What's the ceiling there? And what about some other teams in that mid-major group that you think could make some noise? Yeah, I, I think St. Bonaventure is fairly uh, safe in where they are. And I think they'll be like a fringe top 25 team all year. Maybe go inside it for a couple weeks, take a loss, and bounce back into the others receiving votes. But they'll, they'll be right around there most of the season. Uh, they, they've got to get more production from their bench. That's That's the big question mark with them is they bring back all five starters, but no other players. So stabilizing the bench with a couple of ACC transfers and Juco transfers, that's going to be the big question mark for them. Um, the ceiling, maybe not super high just because it's, it's juniors becoming seniors. And I don't know how much internal progression is there, but if they get up to the top 15 ish. That'd be, a, you know, that'd be appropriate and, and a reasonable goal for them. Um, other mid major teams, there's a lot of intrigue with, teams bringing guys back and Colorado state just missed the NCAA tournament last year and they bring back all five starters and they're more, they were younger. They're they're more kind of sophomores last year becoming juniors. So perhaps there's some internal progression coming there. Uh, And then, you know, true mid-major level Belmont uh, out of the Ohio Valley is absolutely loaded. And they started something like 25 and two last year or 25 and one. And then they lost a few games down the stretch when their star center had a foot injury but they bring back everybody. They're super well coached. Uh, I, I think they could go on quite a run. And, you know, the record will be gaudy. I'm not sure they're going to be top 25 in like analytical rankings, but Belmont's going to be a pain for whoever ends up having to play them in March because I, I think they'll be representing the OBC in the, Ohio, in the NCAA tournament. Okay. I, I have kind of a unique question for you here. If, if I gave you your pick of whatever five teams you wanted, so you can hand select your, your five teams that you think are maybe most likely to win a national title or the ones, uh, however you want to go about that process, and you can pick whatever five you want or you can take the field, what would you go with? I think I'd go with the five, and 
I'm looking at it now. I, I know Gonzaga and Kansas would 100% be in my five. I'll probably include Texas as well, just because of the coaching and the high ceiling that I think they have. And then the other two would probably be some mix of Michigan, Purdue, Nova, or, or one of the Duke, Kentucky Blue Bloods. But I, I just I feel really good about Gonzaga and Kansas. I, I think they're going to be two of the top three teams pretty much uh, no matter what and for most of the year. So having those two and, and getting three more high upside picks, I'll go with those over the other you know, what, 353 teams that it would be. But uh, it, it, it's an interesting question. It makes me think. Just It's probably because I'm very high on Gonzaga and Kansas that I would lean that way. Okay, well, here's, here's another interesting one. Me and my uh, co-host are going to be starting up a segment the week before the college basketball season starts where we're going to take – this is going to be based off Ken Palm. So you have the adjusted EM, which um, – you know, your plus 31.49 for Gonzaga, for instance. And that is going to represent your stock price. And we're going to get, you know, a fake amount of money. And you can buy as many stocks of a team as you want. And over the course of the season, every couple of weeks, we'll check in. You can sell back stocks, buy different teams, so forth. So in going through, like, the Ken Palm ratings, give me a little inside edge here. Is there any team that you think might be a little underrated for where they are in Ken Palm that I can buy up some stocks on and uh, make some good fake money there no absolutely i love this back in the early inception of our, our three-man lease site i did something similar and i was using like ap poll votes as the uh the stock price measurement i kind of like yours better because the, the top teams can actually improve rather than uh just being stuck at one or two so let's see looking at looking at ken palm i think texas is probably one you want to get in early they're, they're at 14 and I think that'll probably be, end up being a top five, top ten team, and a lot of a lot of people have them up there. Um, they they just got so much talent that it's been brought in, and I think Beard will do a pretty good job of getting that all assembled and be they're a pretty worthy contender to Kansas in the Big Twelve. Uh, let's see who else. I think Indiana maybe is a little undervalued, although at thirty one, I only have them in like the top twenty five, so that's nothing too crazy. Hmm. I got a couple you could sell if you guys want to short some <laughs> Well, I was thinking there's got to be a team like in like the, I don't know, in like the 330s or something where they end up like 250, and that would actually represent like I would think a pretty good stock buy, right? Oh yeah, if you want to, if we want to go way down the board into the uh, give the me an obscure world, one, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, let's go at number 267, South Alabama. Uh, they bring back like no starters. And I think that's kind of affecting them in the model, but Richie Riley is like mid-major Eric Musselman, just all transfers all the time. He's got a couple guys from Auburn, a guy from Memphis, a guy from LSU. The roster is really loaded with talent. And I think they're going to vastly outperform that 267 rating and probably end up in the top 175. I would say at least maybe even 150 because the, the talent's great. And, this is Riley's typical way for, for constructing a team, so it's not like it's new for him. I think South Alabama will be a good one for you. I can hunt down a couple if you if you'd prefer a couple more. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm already I'm keeping notes on this. I'm gonna, you know, school my co host. He's he's not gonna know what hit him. Good, yeah. Don't don't let him listen to this <laughs> yeah. part. I don't want him sharing the uh sharing the insider the good. trading here. Yeah. Uh let's see. One more that I think will be good. How about Eastern Michigan is at 297, and they hired a new coach that, you know, I don't think he's going to make them a, an at-large contender or anything, but they're going to be a lot more competent than they've been in the past. He brought in a couple new pieces. They're not going to play 
Jim Beheim's 2-3 zone all the time. I, I think they'll be up more in you know, landing around 215, 200. So, you know, you vault up 80 spots. you got to feel pretty solid about that. So there's two solid ones for you, Eastern Michigan and, and South Alabama. Awesome. I appreciate your help. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for the time. Before I let you go, um, do you have a, a National Player of the Year pick? I mean, how wide open is this race compared to maybe last year or previous years? It definitely feels more open than last year. I think with Garza's return last year, and he was kind of up for or maybe in the top two of awards with top in, in the previous season, it was like, ah, probably Garza's to lose. And now Timmy's definitely the favorite, Drew Timmy for Gonzaga, and, and appropriately the, the betting favorite in, in the markets I've seen. But he could have some, some risk with splitting votes with his freshman teammate, Chet Holmgren. So if I had to pick, I think I'd go Bancaro for Duke. Uh, it's not very common for a freshman to win the award, but we know Duke is going to be all over media cycles this year. And Bancaro is awesome. Like He's a crazy skilled player for his size. Uh, I think he will be a worthy candidate for it. And the other one I like a lot is EJ Liddell for Ohio State, just because we know he's the guy. They're already top 10. Ken Palm, they can stick around there and, and be one of the best offenses in the country as he continues to develop an outside shot. Then, I think he'll be right up in that mix as well. So Bancaro's my pick, and then a little more of a dark horse, E.J. Liddell. He's Jim Root. You can check out all his awesome work with the three-man weave, also doing stuff with Action Network and the Field of 68. Jim, thank you so much for your time, and uh, looking forward to college basketball season here in a couple weeks. Appreciate it, yeah. I'm, I'm sure Lawrence is antsy for it. It's, it's time to get college hoops back on and get fans back in the fog. Yes, sir. Two weeks from uh, Tuesday, first game. So that is Jim Root of Three Man Weave. Thanks again, Jim. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, that's Jim Root. You can check out his work at 3-man-weave.com or check out the Three Man Weave podcast. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. We've gotten through most of the Ochag Baji and David McCormick audio, which was from Big 12 Media Days. Last week, between the two of them, a lot of insightful nuggets in that conversation with the media and them. So here is a little more from Ochai and Dave. So growing up, were there games that you guys as fans watch now that you're playing in? I mean, whether it be Duke, Kentucky, or Kansas, Missouri, I mean, anything that you guys as college basketball fans would look forward to as kids? I would watch the Kansas-Missouri games, um, but I was more on the side of, so I'm from Missouri, so I was more on the Missouri side, um, unfortunately. But so I was rooting for them. <laughs> but it was just always a good game and always be back and forth. That's what I remember. Uh, mine was honestly anything that was college game day. Just it had the hype and then the fact that you know you have it in the field house. Um, it's just going to be big time. So the I think the fans are just on to another level. I mean our fans are always on another level, but they're even more than uh, what you can possibly expect on days like that. Dave, I want to ask you about a buzzword or a catchphrase of yours from last year that you probably got tired of saying and we heard it all the time, playing with a free mind. You said it all the time and it was a huge key for you. Can you dive into what that means a little bit more? I mean, um, I would say at the beginning of last season, you know, uh, things weren't really going my way and I can say I was, you know, frustrated, flustered, whatever it may be. And I had a lot of pressure on myself and then, you know, I had the faith of my teammates and my coaches and it was like, just relax, play calm, calm, collected, just, you know, play free, play loose. And then finally told myself, like, just play with a free mind, don't think about anything, I'll play with a free heart, don't 
don't put any pressure on yourself. Don't try to do more than what you have to do. Do what comes natural. And then, you know, once that just kind of clicked, everything else felt effortless. How hard was it to, to convince yourself that that's what you needed to do and then and then to actually do it? I mean, that sounds uh, hard. To me, it, it's definitely a hard thing to do because, like, what uh, Oates said earlier, I'm the type of person that always works hard. Like, one of my catchphrases is to, to never be out work. So I'm always in the gym, always doing shots, always working out. And it kind of was kind of a... A feedback loop where I'm doing too much or thinking too much. So once I kind of let go, is all right, fine. I really let go, and it, it, like I said, it was just natural. It was effortless. I remember talking to you about your beach workouts early morning back in Virginia and things like that. I mean, did you go there to get that free mind? Not not the beach. You were in Kansas, but <laughs> but I mean, just like meditation or yoga or any other like tricks that you try to use to, to free yourself up or none uh, of that. Honestly, kind of, yeah, just not like a, a necessary, like, or actual uh, meditation state, but like um, using the coaches, like, steam room or hot tub, just kind of unwind, relax, and some regular soft music, just something to free or just get myself to relax and not have so much stress built up. Ochai, did you see that unfold? Did you see him shedding those layers and allowing himself to be freer? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, like he was saying, just like with the start of the season, you know, like he started off rough, but we all still trusted that David would, you know, come through and, you know, break through all that. And, um, you know, like he always does say, like, it is true. You just really can't think too much about it and right. just play, like, with a free mind because then that's when you're going to let your, your whole entire body just, like, do what you normally do and do what you work out and all that. All that's just going to come naturally, so... I mean, I trust David, um, you know, to do it every single night. So sure, you think it's automatic this year that that's where you'll start? Sounds so. like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna pick up where I left off in the same mentality, same mindset going to games, and just, I mean, I can say from myself as well as like teammates, family, anybody who watched me, they said I just looked like I was having a lot more fun and. You know, just have enjoyed playing, you know, playing for what I love to do. Had you ever experienced anything like that before, whether it's in sports or school or anything? I mean, where, uh, where you had to kind of mentally pull yourself through something? Uh, honestly, no, that was the first time. I think that's why I kind of, it was, I kind of struggled with it. And it was, it was hard for the first time just trying to get through it. And then, like I said, it was just kind of, it was kind of a breakthrough moment, but I couldn't, I can't honestly pinpoint or tell you, it just, you know, I was like, I'm just having fun now, and I don't have to think about anything else. Right. Great. Thank Stepping back from the season, just as it stands right now, I know the NCAA investigation is something that's happening behind the scenes. Is that something you guys think about at all in any way? None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. don't even, our, our goal is just kind of focus on the season, taking each game at a time, and just preparing to uh, execute the season. You guys both mentioned that DeWan was the best defender. Why is that? Um, to me, hands. I was about to say he has like long, dangling arms. He's uh, he's quick. He's crafty. You know, I don't think Dewan has uh, an IQ that a lot of people don't really think about. You know, after talking with Juan, he'll make a defender or make a offensive player do what he wants in order to steal the ball. Like he'll make him turn his back or make him do a crossover and then read it before he'll actually do it in order to give him an easy layup, an easy breakaway. And I think that just speaks to his defensive IQ. And in a way, I feel like um, him and Marcus were really close last year. So obviously I feel like he has gotten stuff from Marcus um, about defending the ball because I know I have. So obviously I know that's, that's um, something that he's taken pride with, um, with that knowledge from Marcus. So. Biggest chunk of that audio devoted to a couple things. One, the defense of Dewan Harris there at the end, which, again, 
with as good of a defender as he can be for this team, that's going to get you on the court, bare minimum. But also, Bill Self said it'll unlock Remy Martin's best ability to score the basketball when Dewan's on the on the court. It'll unlock, I'm sure, Joe Yesifu. I think Joe Yesifu is mostly being viewed as like a number two guard anyway. Dewan Harris is going to get a lot of playing time, I think, with both guards, as we talked about earlier. And I think that he is going to get 25-ish minutes a game. Who knows? He could be a guy who we look up at the end of the year and go, yeah, he averaged 28 minutes a game. He was the best glue guy in the country, right? And how much his game progresses is going to be partially dependent as well as how much can he provide offensively, right? Can he drive the ball? Can he score it off the drive? Can he consistently make threes? And honestly, that's the big one. If you can consistently make threes just so they have to guard you out there, in addition to all your passing ability and your defensive acumen, that's going to get you on the court for a long time. But I think for sure you're looking at 20 to 25 minutes a game for Dewan Harris because he's going to do so much, and he is the best defender perimeter-wise, it sounds like, on the team according to them. The other thing was David McCormick being talked about and you know just playing free, playing with a loose mind. You could see that pressed against him early in the year last year. If you get that guy playing with an open mind for the entire season, like if he did what he did in the Big 12 portion of the season all season long, he would have definitely been first team all Big 12. I still think he should have got there anyway. But he would have been talked about at least a little bit in All-American status, right? Not necessarily first team because a lot of times you have to be one of the top teams in the country. And KU was a good team, but they weren't one of the top teams in the country last year. But certainly if he does that all year this year and KU does end up being a top five team and you're looking up at the end of the year and David McCormick's averaging 15 and 8, 15 and 7, he is going to be an All-American. So I asked that question to Jim Root who you know, might be the most likely KU All-American. Honestly, right now, I think I would probably go gun to my head, David McCormick, just because you know what the role is going to be. Like with Ochai, you could convince yourself he's going to have less shots than last year. Um, You could convince yourself Remy Martin with the other guards. Maybe he won't play enough. Maybe he's more of a facilitator, not as much of a scorer. David McCormick provides something that the other KU bigs don't. You know, Cam Martin, Zach Clements, Mitch Lightfoot, that's a really good collection of bigs to have coming off the bench none of those guys do what Dave does in terms of being a really good post scorer in the college game most of those other guys are more stretch big men so David McCormick being able to be unique in that way is he going to get that many more minutes than last year when he averaged 23 a game maybe not but he showed he can put up good enough stats even in 23 minutes so if he's getting 25 a game this year that might just be enough if KU is that good if KU is a clear-cut number one seed, a top four or five team in the country, I think David McCormick could end up being an All-American should he play with that free mind that he mentioned. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll have some more Ochai, Baji, and David McCormick audio coming up for you on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got plenty coming at you after RCST over the upcoming weekend. Tomorrow night here on KLWN, Lawrence High is going to be hosting Topeka High School in the first round of the playoffs. Hank Booth, Matt Llewellyn on the call here on KLWN at 7 o'clock in KLWN.com. The Free State game will be called by myself and Craig Hershiser. They're hosting Wichita South, that one over on 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com. And then this Saturday, We'll have KU football taking on Oklahoma State. Pre-game starts at 4.30, kickoff at 6 o'clock right here on KLWN and our sister station, 
105.9 KISS. All right, we've played for you a bunch of the Ochagbaji and David McCormick audio. Here's a little bit more from Och and Big Dave at Big 12 Men's Basketball Media Days in Kansas City last Wednesday. Selfish talked a lot about playing faster. So what specifically does that mean from like playing style and, and from what's being asked of you guys? I think that starts on the defensive end. Um, you know, how we disrupt the ball, getting turnovers, getting out in transition, um, really just transition. Um, whether it be if they make a shot and we just push it straight out of bounds, like get it out quick and push it down the court, um, put pressure on them early in the clock so we can have maybe a long possession where we can get a good shot. So that's what he means by playing faster, playing with more pace. And so when you mentioned that Joe and, and Dewan were two of the best defenders so far, how much does that kind of close pressure help that? Uh, a lot. Um, you know, like their ability to pick up the ball full court or three-quarter court um, and just put pressure on the defense. Um, to, to make them, you know, take time off uh, their shot clock. So really, really what I said, it does start on the defensive end um, with that pressure and um, that disruption from those from the point guards. Dave, I saw you have a, on social media, you had a shot a couple weeks ago where you can it from half court. You're trying to get Coach Self to draw you one up where you should shoot it from there? Um, that was full court. It was full, yeah, <laughs> it was full, full court. court. I said half. No, it wasn't full court. It was full you know, um, we can. Yeah. I would say it just flick it off. I mean, honestly, we could do that, throw up a play. I like me and Ola, I used to joke around sometimes. There's like half a second left. I could just, I got good enough accuracy to right by the rim just for a quick quick tip in. But um, we might draw some up, hopefully. We'll, we'll look for it. Home run. Who are you yelling at? Joe, <laughs> I, was, I was yelling okay. at Joe. We were going back and forth to see who can make yeah. one first. Oh, he was throwing it too. He was throwing it too. It was close too. He yeah. was close, but I mean, I, I tried to tell him the long run. It's, right. it's what I do. <laughs> I think that's actually what I screamed in the video. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's what I do. <laughs> you guys were talking earlier about how important it is to make sure that the season continues to be fun. Who on the team do you guys look to the most to be able to bring the fun, whether it's at practice or when you guys are out? Me, um, every single day, just you know, show up with a positive attitude. Um, try to help other guys. I know, you know, there's times and practices I don't even want to be there. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, it's just one of those days, and I know it's one of those days for a lot of the guys on the team. So it's like bringing that and uplifting others will uplift me. So. That's all I try to do. That's a fact. I can't, I mean, energy is contagious. There's plenty of days where I was like, I don't feel like being here. I mean, but he walks in the gym smiling, <laughs> laughing. Everybody's body hurts or sore. He's windmill dunking or whatever. And we're like, all right, you know. Out here, I'm out here <laughs> jumping around. I'm like, I don't care. Like, we're just, I mean, just we get, get some energy. To it. And then the practice, let alone a practice that nobody wants to go to, ends up being one of our best practices just because it starts off on a great note and him having great energy. When you guys are in practice, what's the one drill that you guys actually like to do? Five-minute shooting? Yeah, five-minute five minute shooting. shooting. Uh, just a quick three-line drill, just five minutes. Shots. Yeah, mid-range shots, get as many shots up as you can. But it, it kind of feels like one of those uh, arcade games where you're kind of shooting on like the like small a basket. Shot. Yeah. So it's just so, like you're trying to get a really high score. We're trying to get like 200 every day in, and, I mean, in five minutes. So it's against. just groups yeah, yeah 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 so like three lines with like two or three people in them gotcha. and then you just losers run shoot. or what losers no. are one but you always get to gloat about your score because yeah. coach always asks like who made the most and he'll like mm -hmm. whoever has the high of like and it's okay and then automatically if you're anything below that it just wasn't good it wasn't good enough. <laughs> sounds right sounds right so as you guys can see i'm not uh very in very good shape by your estimation how quickly would i die in the boot camp what was it like? uh. <laughs> 
Jump ropes. When we start off with jump ropes, so like, the first like five, thing. Five minutes in, then probably. I know he might. He might, uh, you make, might make it, it to. <laughs> it's what comes after jump ropes. So you like you jump rope for two minutes. No, I wouldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's two minutes straight. Two minutes facts, and then he's calling it. But like for every jump rope, two minutes of my whole life. For every every skip that you miss, every single person. That's a sprint. Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't make it. No, no. So that answers that. Yeah. So you get good at jump roping real quick. Yeah. Yeah. We would hope we want our teammates to get better at jump roping. Some of us. Some of us. Team have to sprint or just the person? No, everybody. So it's like the whole team's lined up, and then two minutes, and then like say if. Somebody misses two, five, six down the line. Those Just are all sprints. Soon as you're done. So if it doesn't kill me, you guys would kill me because I'd keep making you sprint. Yeah. Oh yeah. It'd be like oh, zero, yeah. zero, zero, like eight. Yeah. Exactly. Like how'd you get eight? Everyone just wow. turn and look at me. Looking at me, going, what's Just, he even doing here? Yeah. Never want to be yeah. that guy. Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So some good stuff there. Those are some questions at the end there from uh, RCST co-host and producer Adam Dravetta. He's actually out today he's got a, a wedding that he's off to so he'll be out for the rest of the week um wish he would have been here uh, for that those were good with dave ochai and adam there i also asked both of them at the beginning there you know the the playing fast what does that mean and and how much does the ball pressuring affect that when you think back to like the the 2007 to 2008 kansas team one of the biggest things that sticks out to me when you watch them play is that ball pressure that's being applied constantly by Mario Chalmers, by Sharon Collins, by Russell Robinson, to where it just it just makes it so much harder as an offense to get into your set. Um, it gives you less time on the shot clock. It creates more pressure that you know you're gonna maybe force more steals, but also the offensive player might make more mistakes. It's gonna speed you up sometimes and make you do something you don't want to do, and it might just make your life, you know, a living hell, so to speak, for that game that makes you have a bad game. Like, there's so many positives to being able to pressure for long extended periods of time, for, you know, full court situations or picking them up at half court that you can't always do. And specifically, like in some of the recent years for KU, just that guard position, you can't ask Devontae Graham to pick a guy up the whole way through when he's playing 37 minutes a game and shouldering the biggest load on the offense. You can't ask Frank Mason to do that when he's playing 36 minutes a game and, and the same thing, and he's shouldering a big part of the offense. It's a little easier this year because you have the guard depth. I mean, you feel good with those front three guys, specifically Remy Martin, Dewan Harris, and uh, Joe Yesifu. And basically, if you think about it, between the – two guard positions, the two lead guard positions, you have 80 minutes to divvy up between the three of them. I mean, that's that's not like you'd be asking all of them to play too much, right? That's, what, on average, 27 minutes per guy? And that doesn't even account for if Bobby Pettiford or I, I think Kyle Cuff's probably going to redshirt. It seems like things are kind of leaning that way. But, you know, if Bobby Pettiford gives you five, 10 minutes in there, then all of a sudden it's only 70 minutes that those guys have to play. So certainly... It's not going to be a matter of, well, one of these guys has to play 35, 36 minutes in a game. We can't afford for them to ball pressure. Or they're our biggest offensive threat. We don't have anybody else. No, that's not the case. You have Ojag Baji, David McCormick, Christian Brown, on and on and on down the list. You can afford to pressure the ball this year, and I think that's going to be a huge boon to KU, and certainly with Joe Yesfu 
and Dewan Harris and you know Remy Martin. It remains to be seen, but certainly he's a fast, athletic guy that you would think has the ability to do that. That could b- present a really big problem for opposing teams in similar ways to how KU has done it in the past, and it's worked pretty well. You think back to Baylor last year, how well they did it. Doesn't mean you're going to have a Davion Mitchell type of player who can you know, come into the NBA right now and looks like one of the 10 best defenders on the perimeter in the NBA already. Like, that's probably not going to be the case, but it can definitely enhance your defense. It can definitely enhance your ability to speed up the game, to get out on turnovers, get easy buckets, and to just make things more difficult for the opposing offenses in ways that you necessarily haven't always been able to do because either you just haven't had as much depth at that position with the amount of guys you're going to play or you've had guys like Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, Marcus Garrett last year that had to shoulder such a big burden offensively that they just couldn't do it as well as you probably will this year. So that'll be something that I'm looking forward to this season for this KU team. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, we will play for you the Andy Kolnicki audio. The KU offensive coordinator spoke with the media earlier today. This is RCST.